Gentlemen, it's your option. Anyone can play. Any man, child, woman, born alive, can tell me where the Black Queen lies. You bet fast, you can't last. You bet slow, you gotta go. Anybody, save a blind man, broke man, or the policeman. If you're broke, please stand back. Any police around, let me know. I'll be more than happy to go. The idea, ladies and gentlemen, is to find the Black Queen. The name of the game, of course, is Sidewalk Shuffle. Three-card Monty, Chase the Ace, Shaking the Broad. But you know, most of us know it as Three-Card Monty. The idea is to guess where the Black Queen is. You've been robbed of your money, your property, and most of all, your self-respect. Someone distracted you or played off your trust. You never saw it coming. The mark never does. So give yourself a break. Grifters have been around since the serpent offered an apple to Adam and Eve. It's time to say goodbye to your money and move on. I'm Jim Gridstead, and on Scams and Cons, I'll tell you how grifters work and about the frauds they commit. But don't think you'll outwit the next con artist that crosses your path. If you're the mark, you'll never see it coming. If you're the one who just placed money on the table, you've lost big. And that makes you a sucker in a game you can never win. Records show the first appearance of the game in the early 1500s. Today, the con is so well known that it's amazing that people still fall for it. But they do. You'll see a game set up on a sidewalk in a busy area. It's usually on top of a box, so the crew can make a quick getaway if the police come. Three-card Mati is gambling, and in most places, it's illegal. The tosser's job is to keep the cards flying and direct the mini-drama that's about to unfold. The sucker is the star, so he moves to the front of the table to watch. The game is easy to learn and follow, but within eight minutes, he'll be convinced to put all the money he has on the table and be left on the stage alone before an empty house. If you want to see how the game is played, you can go online. There are plenty of videos. Today, we're going to talk about how the game really works, and it has very little to do with cards. The reality is, is that we set this game up through controlling his thinking that he's willing to bet Everything he's got, all the cash he has on him at that exact moment because it's such an absolute sure thing that he's got here because of all the work we did to get him to that point. That's Chef Anton. He's a former street hustler who today primarily takes his money doing exhibitions for corporate events and trade shows. He teaches the school for scoundrels at the Magic Castle in Hollywood. The first step is that we have to build excitement and an attraction for the sucker. So we have to make it seem like he's not in on something that's really, really fun. And people get very jealous when they're not a part of something, you know, like that. So we've got a very tight crowd around the table and everyone's screaming and yelling in a positive, think of like a roulette table kind of excitement, you know, like, yeah, everyone's high-fiving and, you know, all this kind of stuff. 
And now he's kind of curious as to what's going on. Well, we don't allow them to watch the game, right? You're, you're not there. It's not a, a watcher's game. It's a player's game, we say often. And so he can't see what's going on because the, the crowd is so tight around the table. He doesn't get a view as to you know, what we're actually doing. The thrower or tosser, who is normally the guy in charge of the gang, he's the head guy of that gang, makes the code, and the code is something like open the gate. And what that means is for two guys to separate, so now the sucker can now get a clear view at the table. And so now he's kind of standing there, and he's kind of like, oh, I wonder what's going on. Well, now another skill comes from behind him, bumps him accidentally, quote unquote, <laughs> towards the table, and then the gate closes behind him. So now he can't leave the table because now he's next to the table amongst the horde. Everyone else is behind him. The crew now has the sucker exactly where they want him. I'm a summer guy. I'll be on the porch enjoying a cool drink and reading. Doesn't get any better unless someone else does the cooking. I'm not going to spend the day in fresh air only to eat processed foods. If I'm not eating fresh, I'm wasting one of the best seasons of the year. Fortunately, Factor comes to my rescue. They send fresh meals to me that can be cooked up in minutes. I can go back to the porch with a great meal and enjoy the sunset. I'm not into program diets. I like the chef's choice meals. But if I wanted keto, protein, vegan, or anything else, they can provide it. Premium meals could include steak, shrimp, broccolini, or asparagus. The meals come prepped and are customizable. You can get add-ons for breakfast, lunch, or snacks. And when I head out on vacation, Factor will pause my service until I get back. Plus, I love to grill. So I can choose one of Factor's meals during the week and fire up the charcoal on weekends. Be good to yourself. Enjoy the warm weather, great foods from Factor, along with some money-saving discounts I'm about to tell you about. Head to factormeals.com slash scamsandcons50 and use code scamsandcons50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next box. That's code scamsandcons50 at factormeals.com slash scamsandcons50 to get 50% off your first box and 20% off your next box while your subscription is active. The crew generally consists of about eight people and virtually all of them are shills. Only one sucker at a time is fed into the gate. If he's with a second person, let's say a wife or a girlfriend or something, we'll separate the two of them because we don't want them talking to each other. We want to be able to control one person's thinking at a time. And so they'll, they'll separate out the lady. They won't allow her to get into the, the gate. Now, you may think the crew has been scouting for a rube, a hayseed, or a sucker they can con. Yeah, that's the beautiful thing is that the suckers find us. We don't actively look for them. All we do is we create the excitement, and the sucker is the guy that's willing to stop to see what all the excitement's about. There are ways that we can qualify a mark as well. For example, if somebody walks up to the table, and then he goes to bed, and he reaches into his shirt pocket, he pulls out like 5 bucks or 10 bucks out of his shirt pocket, he's dismissed right away. They open the gate, they kind of move him out, and they move the guy along. The reason why is that that guy most likely saw the game from a little bit of a distance, goes, oh, I've heard of three-card money, looks in his wallet, I'm willing to lose $10, 
and he takes $10 out of his wallet and he puts it into his shirt pocket, walks up to the game, watches for a second, and then wants to bet his $10. We don't want that because we want him to bet everything he has. This guy's already told himself, I'm only willing to lose this. We want the guy that's walking in going, hmm, this thing, this looks kind of fun. What is this? And go from there. So there are things that we'll do to dismiss a mark, but we don't attract the mark. The, the game attracts the mark, and then the mark, you know, finds us. The shills, by the way, take great care in how they look. One may be a stoner, another a business person, a construction worker, any group of characters that appears not to know one another. Each shill knows how to play every character in the game, including the tosser. By changing roles, it's less likely that a pass sucker will recognize the crew, and if the police nick one of them, the show still goes on. Now, while the tosser is the focus of everyone's attention, the shills do far more than steer the sucker into the gate. There are so many things that they're doing right there that they have to know what the person is thinking in each moment of the game, and then not only be able to anticipate his thinking, but control his thinking so that he thinks along the pathway that we want him to until you get to the inevitable conclusion. If you take out any one of those middle steps and the guy might decide, I don't want to play the game. I didn't see anybody win. Or I don't want to play the game because they don't really look like they're having fun. They, they look like this is drudgery. I don't want to play the game because why do I want to take advantage of this, this old guy who's tossing cards to make a little bit of money? Because I'm smarter, obviously, than everybody here. I don't want to do that to this guy. And that's why we get him mad at him. The moment a sucker comes to the thought that I need to show him, I need to like make a point for him, or I need to prove him wrong, or I need to teach him a lesson is a big one. I need to teach him a lesson about why he shouldn't yell at me. As soon as we get him to do that in his head, then we've got him. That's the moment we're waiting for is for him to justify his own actions for playing a game he probably knows he shouldn't be playing in the first place. On the morning of August 1st, 1966, shots ring out from the observation deck of the clock tower on the University of Texas campus. It marks the infamous beginning of the modern era of mass shootings in America. You're listening to Stop the Killing Podcast. Join us as we take you behind the crime scene tape to explain global mass shootings and mass attacks. I'm Sarah Ferris, but more importantly, this is Catherine Schweitz, the former head of the FBI's active shooter program. I spent five years as the FBI's top executive looking for answers to the mass shooting crisis. I've been at the shooting scenes. I've traced heroic acts of bravery. And I've sat silently and listened to the heart-wrenching stories from survivors. Amongst this horror, there is hope. We all hold the key to stop the killing. You just need to know how to unlock the door. Download Stop the Killing and be part of the solution. Search Stop the Killing on Apple, Spotify, and all the usual suspects. Now, the fact that Three Card Monty is a con game has never been a secret. Even if you've lived on a farm in the middle of Kansas, you've probably heard of it. You may never have seen the game because it's played mostly in cities, but it's likely you've heard of it. So how can there be so many suckers? The reality is that the people somehow think they're smarter than the Monty, that they're, they're somehow the smartest guy in the room. And the reason why they think that is because of the psychology that we use to get them there. If the guy simply walked up, saw the game, he'd probably just kind of walk away. Oh, no, well, that's a sucker's game. Why are they doing that? 
But you have to look at what we did to him. The first thing is we isolated him from his wife. We isolated him from the world as he knows it. And we created this new world that when we opened the gate, closed the gate. We started talking to him and befriending him and telling him about shills and telling the cheating. The guy may have heard these kind of words before, but he doesn't quite know what he's heard them. He can't kind of wrap his mind around it. But we're showing him in this new world, cheating is okay. Taking advantage is okay. They're going to do it. You're going to do it. it. But it's fun. It's it's exciting. It's they're they're giving him attaboys. They're cheering for him when he bet correctly. They're you know doing all kinds of and they kind of get this this ego going and this adrenaline rush going. When the crew takes your cash, they vanish. The sucker is left standing alone with an empty wallet, and he's pissed. The last step in controlling his thinking is we need to make sure he doesn't do anything foolish at this point, such as go to the cops, come back after us for violence, because three-card money mobs are not a violent group at all. They're very, very passive, actually. They try to pretend like they're strong and like, hey, we've got people, but the reality is they don't want a mess you know, on their hands. So this is when a, a gentleman that we call the smoother comes by to the sucker and smooths him over a little bit. It's normally an elderly gentleman, normally very well-dressed, you know, well-mannered, umbrella, coat over his arm kind of thing. And he's like, hey, mate, he goes, I, I saw you. I, I tried to get your attention, but I couldn't. And if I tried to disrupt the gang, you know, they're, they're a violent bunch. They would put a knife in me, you know, in a second. And I, I'm sorry, I just couldn't do it. And whatever you do, don't run to the cops. What you're doing is racketeering. You're as guilty as them. And the cops will arrest you because you just admitted that you're a part of it. And, and don't try to go after them. They're, they're a mean bunch. I've seen them beat up an old lady over $10. The best thing you can do is get a, get some lunch. Here, here's five bucks. Get yourself a cup of coffee. Get on a bus. Get out, get out of this area because if they still see you here, they're going to suspect something. And his job is to make the guy feel okay about getting burned. Get him out of the area and kind of disarm him, so to speak. So the guy feels a little bit better and then as this is happening, the gang is around the building doing the same thing to the next guy. There are times when the sucker takes herself out of the game, so no smoother is necessary. Right about this time, a, uh, an Australian girl walks off of the bus and she says, I've heard of this game, says to like her friend. She walks up and the guy's got the three shells and he says, where is it? And the guy says, it's this one. And it was obviously on the center. He said, left. And he shows his son left and says, nope, that's $50. The girl then says, center, which is where it is. And the guy goes, wait a second. There's only two shells left. It's a $100 bet if you want two. She reaches in, gets $100. He pushes the two shells towards her and says, which one is it? Here, you take them. In fact, what he actually did was he held out the piece, not under either one of them. And whichever one she turns over, he lifts up the other one to show that's where it was. So she couldn't win. And I remember this girl ran from that and then went right over the railing and puked right into the harbor. Three-card Monte crews are rarely violent. They don't want trouble, and they'd rather disappear than have a confrontation. The police, however, see things differently. They want a confrontation, but not necessarily to make an arrest. So I was in the New York Sports Trade Show. It was a setup day. So I just finished setting up. I'm walking around and I see this three card money, you know, gang doing their thing. And I kind of watched it from quite a distance because I can pick out the, the shills and the suckers. I mean, it's just once you, once you know what to look for, it, it's actually very, very easy. As I was approaching from one side, I saw a cop 
approaching from another side. I'm thinking, this is going to get interesting here in a second. Because the guy's just very slowly walking. He's not trying to be stealth. He's not sneaking up. He's just puntering along and making his way over to the table. One of the guys sees the, uh, the cop, makes the little sign, and everybody dissipates. And what's left is some guy who apparently lost quite a bit of money. His wife, who was outside of the, the table, kind of grabs him, and the guy, they kind of start bickering and arguing as they're walking down the street. You know, how could you lose our cash kind of, you know, this is our vacation money, what are you doing? You know, probably kind of a discussion. The cop walks right over to where the table was, kind of folds his arms, and then just kind of like, yep, I did my job, I broke up the game. Well, I walk up to the cop, and what I said to him was, that was really impressive. Now, he thought I was talking to him that he broke up the gang, but in reality, what I was talking about was how effectively the gang dissipated, took the guy's money, and as soon as they saw the cop, they left. as like, you know, that was really well done. I was referring to that. And then he looks at me and he says, even the cop can't beat the Monty, what makes that asshole think he can? Chef says most police know if they arrest anyone, the person supporting the crew will bail them out and they'll go right back to work. Most of Chef's work is in trade shows, and he does that without chills. But the psychology is the same. Create excitement, draw a crowd, then make the pitch. The goal of this game is not to take somebody's money, at least not directly, but to identify potential customers. Sometimes that means just asking them to raise their hands. The client will tell me what they're looking for. So we're looking for distributors, we're looking for you know, VP of sales, we could care less about the, the concierge, whatever it is. So they're going to say who we want and who we don't want. And I sometimes flat out ask them towards the end of the show, hey, how many distributors do we have here? I was just going to do a quick survey and then people raise their hands up. Fans say, you know what, we're really looking for you guys. And if you want to talk to Bobby over there when this show is over with, Bobby's the guy in charge of distributors. So I'm going to save you a lot of time so you don't waste your time talking to the wrong salesperson or team member. So you could be blatantly honest with the audience, which they tend to appreciate because they don't want to be having their time wasted, but we make it sound like doing them a favor because I'm saving them time and telling them what we're expecting, what they're going to get out of the show, and who to speak to to get their answers so they can move on to the, to the next booth. So it's, it's the same psychology as three-card money, but it's not underhanded and sneaky. It's 100% transparent and uh, very professional. It can still be said whimsically. It can still be fun, but it's, it's still very honest and forthright with the uh, professional audience. A trade show may be the only time you see a con man run an honest game, but if you're on the street and see a group of people huddled around a table with three cards on it, walk away. Because it's not about what you can see with your own eyes. It's about the next eight minutes as you come to believe it's smart to put all the money you have on the table. Because all you have to do is follow the lady. If you enjoy scams and cons, 
please give us a five-star rating wherever you listen to podcasts. It helps people find us, and your ratings really make a difference. And don't forget to head over to our Facebook group, where I'll post more stories about scams, and you can chat with other fans. Just search Facebook for Scams and Cons, and be sure to select the group rather than the page. It's a private group to keep the bots out, so just ask to join and I'll take care of the rest. I look forward to hearing what you have to say. Thanks for listening. True terrors of horror, bizarre happenings, unexplainable events. On our podcast, Disturbed, Terror Takes Center Stage. Each episode is a journey into the darkest corners of human existence, delving into bone-chilling tales of kidnappings, serial killers, maniacs, and the very essence of your worst nightmares coming to life on this weekly true horror show. Disturbed is not for the faint of heart. It's an exploration of real, unadulterated horror sourced from everyday people. Each episode is a descent into the macabre, where we narrate stories that will leave you on the edge of your seat and crawling in your skin. We navigate the disturbing narratives that lurk in the shadows, offering a raw and unfiltered listen into the most terrifying aspects of the human experience. Enter at your own risk and let the unsettling tales unfold in the haunting realm of Disturbed. And remember, listeners, stay safe out there.